The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Okay, um, before we get into our study, I want to take time just to pray uh, specifically for the families affected by the shooting yesterday. Uh, I know some of you heard, others may not have, in the synagogue yesterday, uh, I believe that the uh, 11 people had their lives taken from them yesterday uh, as a result of another shooting. Uh, again, just another picture of how desperate our world is in need for truth and for love and for hope. And that's why we're here. That's what our series, our current series, has been about. Um, why are we saved? Why, why did Jesus go to the cross to die in our place and to forgive us of our sins? What is our salvation for? Our salvation is not just so that we know one day we will not go to hell. That's not why we're saved. We're not saved so that we know we're a part of now some exclusive holier-than-thou club uh, connected to God. That's not why we're saved. We are saved so that we can be the light of Jesus to our lost world. We are here on this earth to be in it, but not of it. Um, that's what our message is about today. Uh, we started a series uh, a few weeks ago called Gospel-Shaped Outreach. You know, it's one thing for us to care for our neighbors in need. It's one thing to try and make an impact in our world. Um, there are a lot of good deed-doing organizations out there. The world doesn't need just more good-doers. The world needs Jesus. The world needs hope. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Except through me. And so the reason we go out and knock on doors around holidays, the reason we are buying houses and neighborhoods in need to care for our neighbors is so that we can love God and love our neighbor. The two greatest commandments quoted from Jesus. And in our loving of others who do not yet know Jesus, our hope and prayer, as the scriptures say, that they will see our lives, they will see our love for one another, they will see our good deeds, and come to know our Father in heaven. And ultimately, everything that we do is to be a light pointing back to Jesus. And so we, uh, I want to encourage you, if you're not currently involved in one of our small group gatherings, again, if you're not available during the weeknights, then just alter things on Sunday morning. Right now, there's about 25 people back in a class going through the study on Sunday mornings. Uh, but if weeknights work, we have a number of community group home gatherings that are doing this study. They're basically diving a little deeper into our talks that we're giving each Sunday. And if you don't have one of these books, do we have any left, Donna? We'll have more coming at 11. So if you want to hang out and have a cup of coffee and a bagel while you wait, we have more coming. But if you don't have this book, it's our it's our are a tool that we want you to have, and if you don't have the $5 donation we're asking, then it's our gift to you. We want you to have it. It's full of devotionals for you to do Monday through Friday in between sermons. It's got your notes for your small group, and even if you're not a part of a small group, it's still a great guide to help you dig deeper into the truth of what the gospel is. Uh, we started out this series looking at who Jesus really is. There are a lot of people out there who have views of who Jesus is. If you don't know the Jesus of the Bible, then you don't know the real Jesus. 
it's important for us to understand that we're telling the story of Jesus and who he really is. The second week we looked at who we are. We are not people saved, just people saved by Jesus. We are brought into the family and given the mission to tell others about Jesus. If you're not telling others about Jesus, you're missing the purpose of our life. And today we're going to look at um, kind of two questions that are being asked. Who are we to be reaching? And what is the plan of the gospel? What's the gospel plan? And, and just to answer it quickly, we're to be reaching everyone who exists. Jesus said, the gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. There are billions of people who do not yet know Jesus, who have not even heard his name. And so we have a mission. And it's not just the job of professional pastors and missionaries. Each and every one of us who are children of God are given the mission of God. And the gospel plan is for us to share the gospel in everything we do. It's not just part of our life. The gospel is to be our life. Um, in preparing for this study, uh, over, the, over the last couple of years, I came across a resource that I want to share with you this morning. It's going to be the bulk of our message it's uh, told through a film, and so my encouragement is that you listen to the creative way in which these biblical gospel-centered truths are presented, and in a few minutes, I'll come back and summarize everything with you. So sit back, relax, and listen. to make. I am sick of how we Christians deal with the world. Okay, okay, maybe that's too much. Dear everybody, I think we need a new perspective, a wider view of what it means to be in the world, but not of it. There must be a better way. The pace of modern society is often fast. The beat is sometimes frantic. The need to belong is ever-present. Amy, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that perspective change. This is my friend Amy Sherman. She's a researcher and a writer, and she's done a lot of thinking on what it means to be a Christian in the modern world. Strangers in the strange land, all that. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. It seems like everywhere you look, it's just a mess. Okay. We've got wars, culture wars, climate change, red state, blue state, you hear what I'm saying? Equality issues. And all we Christians can seem to do is just get caught up in it. And we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. But I'm just not sure anyone really knows what that means. So help me out here, Amy Sherman. Sure. I don't even know where to start. I think your first instinct is right. What if for too long we've been looking at our salvation only as a means of personal atonement. God's plan for all things is a grander story than that. What if there's a bigger question? Like, what is our salvation actually for? That's the key question, right there. Did you hear it? What is our salvation actually for? What is our salvation for? <laughs> Sequence in my front yard. Okay. 
is Evan. I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Evan. These are my friends. Evan, what's going on? And this is For the Life of the World Letters to the Exiles. Amy. Evan, sorry about that. We must have gotten disconnected. No problem. Where were we? We were talking about the purpose of salvation. What's it for? What is our salvation actually for? Okay, yeah. We are to be in the world, but if we look a bit deeper into the issues, we see that Christians view culture and the rest of the world in a us-versus-them mentality, like we're being invaded. We see it play out in three ways. The first response to culture is what my pastor, Greg Thompson, calls fortification. We put up walls, shut the world out. It's a bunker mentality. The second common response is domination. This approach engages in culture and condemns it, fights against it. This is the culture warrior mentality. Finally, there are the accommodationists, and they're a response to this war mentality. These are the types that engage culture but completely lose their identities. So like I said, this is for the life of the world, and I'm Evan Kuhn. And what we're trying to do here is establish a clear perspective on being in the world, but not of it. So I've rounded up a group of people way smarter than me to help explain it all. Excuse me just one moment while I make another quick phone call. Hello? Dwight. Hey, Evan, are, are, are we on? Yeah, this is Dwight Gibson. He's the chief exploration officer for his company, the Exploration Group in Philadelphia. People commission him to explore the world and create new ideas for their businesses and organizations. Right. Found these all over my yard. Oh, it's a Chinese lantern. Yeah, see what you can find out for me by the end of the episode. Uh, how, how long's an episode? Oh, hey, somebody's here. Okay, listen, I gotta go. Now, for the sake of time, enjoy meeting Stephen Grable through the stylings of my voice over. Dr. Stephen Grable is a theologian and scholar What's up, man? and the editor of the Stewardship Study Bible. Good to see you. He has see degrees you. in philosophy and political science with an MTS, a THM, and a PhD from Calvin Theological Seminary. He's written and edited books on Protestant social thought, Abraham Kuyper, ethics and economics. In other words, the dude knows his stuff. Yeah, I got you some. Oh, and when he's not researching theology at Acton Institute, a think tank in Grand Rapids, Michigan, he's bringing me books and sitting in my library. Sometimes my art studio. Fortification, domination, accommodation. And there's a lot to those ideas. Yeah. I think we need to unpack them a little bit. What do you think? I would really appreciate that, actually. All right. You know, I, I kind of discerned a, a common theme running throughout all of those ideas. And basically, it's urgency. Urgency, urgency. If we don't act now, we're going to end up in some crisis, 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 and something awful, irreversible even, is going to happen. But, but um, what we have to do is actually take a totally different view of culture. Deep-rooted cultural change takes about a generation, which in biblical times is measured by 70 years. Sure. And I don't think very many of us have the patience for that today. Mm -hmm. We need a whole different perspective on the matter. 
listening to me? Yes. No, what? I'm sorry. This is something that we forget all the time, that we just fail to remember this, that we're strangers in a strange land. Welcome to exile. Welcome, not home. Ugh. We're all strangers here, and we're all at points estranged from God, but we're trying to find our way home in accordance with his purpose. It's too abstract. <laughs> so... That's what I'm interested in. How do we do that? You know what, Evan? The best way to understand exile is to kind of go back to, to the scriptures and what Jeremiah was talking to the children of Israel about in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is the prophet's final instructions for Israel, as well as a promise of restoration, before the Babylonians came to take them into captivity. It was a routing of the land, and Jeremiah 29.7 is the key. And what do you think he told them to do? Seek the welfare of the city into which I placed you. And in seeking that welfare, you will find your own welfare. Try that one on for size. What this means is the way we evaluate everything, our success, the purpose, all that big picture stuff changes because it's all about the welfare of the places into which we've been placed cities. There's a little bit of me that just feels like it's like we're accommodating the city. I can see how it might seem that way, but it wasn't Jeremiah's intention for the children of Israel to sort of just blend in to the Babylonians. Remember what Jeremiah does before they go into exile? He buys a plot of land, gets the deed to it, and he buries the deed. He buries the deed, not because he'll come back and dig it up later. He'll, he'll be dead. But he does know that there will be a return from exile. He has hope in the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And so he's unafraid to enter into that Babylonian captivity because he has faith that God will realize his purposes even if this present generation is not around to witness it. Well, that puts some things in perspective. Maybe what God asked of the Israelites in captivity, he's asking of us. Just like John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and the future coming of the kingdom, so we are pointing to a new reality that's off into the future, even if it's somewhat present right now. We're not the Messiah. We're, we're people that prepare the way. Are we willing to do that hard work? For, for something we might not even see? For something that we might not even ourselves be able to envision. Can we stand in the midst of exile while the whole place seems to burn? Can we allow ourselves to do the humble work of sowing and tilling so that another can come along and reap? Can we be so bold as to declare that that work is preparing the way of the Lord? Well, the key, though, is like, 
understanding what we mean by the way of the Lord. And that's something I don't. I was hoping you'd say that. Come on. I want to say just one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Oikonomia. Exactly how do you mean? There's a great future in Oikonomia. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Shh. Enough said. That's a deal. It's getting late. I have to go. So let's call God's big purpose, the plan for his whole household of creation, let's call that oikonomia. And all the specific areas and modes of operation, the ones that he's designed us to work in, you know, like our families, our jobs, our governments and charities, schools, institutions, let's call those our economies, our house management.
What is the actual song anyway? you know, we took it anyway. And there was death and confusion, and it's like we forgot what life was all about. Being gift givers. And in taking what God didn't offer, we severed our relationship with him. And all creation suffered. Then there came that day when God gave us another gift. God himself becomes a man. The gift he offers to the Father is himself. And all of creation is in tow behind him. Once and for all, he restores the way of our purpose. He restores our priesthood. We can once again offer to God our lives, our work, our knowledge, everything. We join our gifts with Christ to offer the world to the Father in love and for the life of the world. And that is the purpose of our salvation. That's what it's for, for the life. This is Dwight. Oh, hey, Dwight. You're right on time. Hey, listen. The story behind these Chinese lanterns, it's really beautiful. I made something for you. Take this and enjoy. Thanks, Dwight. Something to think about. What does it take to transform a city? Think about that. Okay? Okay. Okay. Hey, get a run. Bye-bye. See you. City. A single sky lantern, rice paper, a bamboo frame, a bit of wax, a wick, all built from stuff of the earth, but made for fire, made for the heavens, made in order to be let go. learn to see our work as a gift to heaven by working for the life of the world, for the good of the city of exile into which we've been sent. For all our work in this world is made of stuff of the earth, our families, our labor, our governments and charities and schools and art forms, all of it takes place here below. But all of it is pointed toward heaven. All of it is, in a sense, holy. Imagine if all of us offered our cities around us, how might we be able to change those cities? What would it look like if we only understood that our humble work 
psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now listen to the words of Jeremiah. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is our economic responsibility. In our families, our work, in our communities, in every broken place, each of these economies is designed to work as a humble part of God's oikonomia, his economy of all things. All of our work is designed to bring flourishing to the world, to be an act of priesthood, an act of blessing, an offering. Science of this priesthood was our original calling. It has been restored to us through the gracious blood of Jesus. His song in the world is gift, and we are called to play this song in all we do. So go, live in your true nature, with the work of your hands, your everyday work, and the words of your mouth, the very breath that you breathe. Bless and sanctify the world. Make it a gift and offer it back to God for his glory and for the life. read this passage many times in our short eight years of existence as a church, but it's so foundational in who God has called us to be. Jeremiah 29, 4 and following says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those that I have carried into exile. God has put us here in this time and place. This place is not our home. Jesus says we are strangers in a strange land. And we are sent here for a purpose, for a reason, not to live life or try and make this place as comfortable a home as we can make it. But we are sent here to be on mission. He says these words to those he carried into exile. He says, build your houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters. Uh, and give your sons and daughters in marriage. So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. And seek the peace and the prosperity. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Pray to the Lord for it. If it prospers you prosper. Our goal is to be light bearers in this world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Our salvation is not just for our own personal atonement. We're not saved just so that we can check a box and say, I've got it, I'm done. And now we go on about life. We are saved so that the world can come to know that same salvation. We are in exile those who are also in exile, to share with them the true freedom, true love is found only in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, and this is all kind of new and different, my hope is that the message is clear, that Jesus loves you. Jesus is not just some figurehead who lived 2,000 years ago and was the big teacher through which a few religions were formed. Jesus is God and became one of us 
church for 33 years to show us how to love one another, to care for people, to see people in need and have compassion and reach them. And at the end of that life, he could have lived a great life caring and being a nice guy and loving on people and then died. That wasn't it. Jesus died to exchange his life for ours. We are lost because of the gift that Jesus gave through the beginning of the world and creation. We rejected God and was disobedient sin entered our world, and each of us is born as sinners separated from God. But God, in His great love, did not consider us to be left alone. Instead, He came to meet us where we are, in the midst of our mess. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, it says this. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up as we prepare for a time of reflection. I want you to think about these words. Ephesians chapter 2 says, As for you, Paul is speaking to people who are already Christians, already believers, to remind them that salvation is not just for us. It is also for those who do not yet know Jesus as Savior. Paul says, As for you, you were dead and your transgressions and sins. Remember that time before you knew the love and forgiveness of the Savior? Remember that time when you were walking dead? When you were living a dead man's life? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts of our hearts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But because, and a couple weeks ago I heard a great preacher say that God throughout scriptures demonstrates that he has a big butt. Look at that word there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. We were dead, deserving of God's wrath, but, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, mercy is having something withheld that we deserve. Out of his great love, being rich in mercy, God made us alive. In Christ, there is no other way through which we can find life but through Christ. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace. Grace is being given something you don't deserve. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, in the age we live now, in the age of our children, in the age of our grandchildren, in the ages in the past, throughout all of the ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that we have been saved, through faith. 
And it is not something of ourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And the good works that we are to do is not just to now live good moral lives. The good works that we are created to do is to be God's workmanship, His handiwork, living our life as the gospel. In every area of our life, pointing people to Jesus so that they will see His light in us and come to know Him, our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the beauty of the gospel. I thank you that you created us as a part of your plan to share the truth and love of your gospel with those who do not yet know it. God, I pray that you help each of us to see the role and the parts we play in the transformation of our city, nation, and world. And everywhere we eat, sleep, play, study, and shop, that we would do everything to bring glory to you. That we would do everything to somehow earn the right to be able to share the story of who you are, of how you reached us, how you forgave us, how you changed us and gave us a new life, and how in the same way your love for the world, you offer that same love to those who do not yet know you. I pray, God, that we would see ourselves as instruments in your hands. I pray that you would bring to mind the people in our life that do not yet know you. I pray that you would give us a heart's desire, a burning passion for the lost, that we would go and we would tell, that we would go and that we would live, that we would go and we would serve so that we could lead others to know you. So God, as your handiwork, as your craftsmanship, as masterpieces in your hand, your ambassadors and sent ones, help us to live a life in this way, to point others to you. And help us to be intentional about it, Again, bringing to our mind the faces and the names of those who you have intentionally put in our life so that we can share your story with them. God, I pray right now for those who may be in this room who do not yet know you, who don't understand the depth of your love for them, that they would open up their own hearts right now to receive you. If you have never invited Jesus and his love into your life and surrendered your life to him as Savior and Lord, The scriptures say that at the moment that you believe that he died for you and that you confess with your mouth that you want him to be your Lord, you will be saved. You will become a child of God. And you can do it right here, right now with me. Just call out to him in the quiet of this moment and say, God, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Come into my life and make me new. Teach me what it means to follow you. Help me to live this life as you would want me to live it. Help me to turn from my own way of doing things. Help me to repent from the things that I know are the wrong, the sin of my life, and help me now to glorify you in the way that I live. Come into my life and make me new. Father God, I thank you for those who may be praying those words right now for you. I thank you for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit when we call out to you the way you come in and make us new, the way you make us the people you want us to be. Come and have your way in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. As our worship team closes us, let us remember that all of this is only possible 
because of the gift that God gave us in his son. Jesus came, offered up his life in our place. And the night before he died, he took a piece of bread and he said, In the future, as often as you eat of this bread, remember the gift I gave you. Remember the way I died for you. When you taste of this bread, remember my body broken for you. And he took the cup. And as he dipped the bread in the cup, he said, Remember this cup, a symbol of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive me. Believe in me. As you listen and pray and respond as our worship team leads us, if you are a believer in Jesus, I invite you to come to our communion station, either in the back or up here at the front. And remember what this is for. It's an act of remembrance and worship. God, move among us now, we pray. In your name. Amen. Respond now as you feel led. If you need to pray, we have prayer teams in the back. If you gave your heart to Jesus, let one of us know. We'd love to celebrate that decision with you. Let's worship and reflect on these things.